0: like being single
1: i like it i like starting each day with a sense of possibility and i'm optimistic because every day i get a little more desperate and desperate situations yield the quickest results well it's not all strangers some of them are friends (laughs) robbie my robbie yeah i got here way too early so i've just been standing outside kind of waiting for my opportunity to enter how'd i do robbie are you in this group
2: <laughs> i see in the group robbie is the founder president and secretary of the group i formed the group after nadia dumped me i always used two sugars my mom says because i'm so
1: sweet you know oh whoa i didn't want to be alone but i also didn't want to be in a relationship
2: and that's when he got the idea to bring people together to help each other stay single you
1: know we meet weekly for non-romantic companionship
2: but most of all we just have fun like last week we shut down this korean barbecue we paid with 13 different credit cards and we were asked to never come back again (laughs) it was epic oh
1: man it's a really cool group and we have our own motto i'm single single and i'm sufficient. sufficient
2: ISIS. IS. That's, that's ISIS. I, that's ISIS. Oh You're asking God. people to join ISIS. It's no, communications no, 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 no. are. I should have caught that.
1: Yeah. Isn't this group just a painfully transparent <sighs> stall until he meets someone. Being
2: single is a choice. Yeah. Don't single shame. Oh, what no, is single honey, shame? He was not single I, I'm not, I'm shaming you. That was not his intention at all. Couples always. always try to talk down to singles. We can do everything that you guys can do. I take myself out
1: for a dessert date every Sunday. Yeah,
2: and yesterday I had a backache and I rubbed it myself in a door jam.
1: This is bumming me out. <laughs> is this group going to be a bummer? Be honest.
3: Absolutely not. <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. I'm so excited that you're here. That Those uh, blended clips from The Office and New Girl highlight a lot of stereotypes about singleness that Richard and I here this morning are hoping to unravel and dispel a little bit. Uh, We are in one of the last weeks of our Can You Relate sermon series where we've been talking about relationships for a hot minute, and today we turn the page and take a look at singleness this morning. And so before we get into that though, my name is Jamie, I'm the Revive Young Adult Minister here at Hope's. West Des Moines campus and I'm really excited to get to be here with all of you this morning and I'm also a single human. (laughs) Richard, who are you?
1: I'm also a single human. Um, Yes, it's good to be human as well. Um, And I, I do a lot in discipleship and drink probably way more coffee than it would be good for anybody
3: fantastic. (laughs) So uh, today as we dive into this topic about singleness, one of the analogies that I like to use is a board game that I grew up playing as a kid called Shoots and Ladders. How many of you remember this game Shoots and Ladders? Okay, so many of you. Claps for Shoots and Ladders. That's exciting. Yes, okay. So this game of Shoots and Ladders, this is the older board game that I, or like the original, the right one that, that I played as a kid when I was looking for graphics. Apparently they've redone it. I don't know, whatever. This is the one that's familiar to me. So if you've never played Chutes and Ladders before or it's been a while, let me remind you how it goes. The board game is a simple... 10 by 10 grid, numbers one through 100, and there are a bunch of ladders and chutes all over the board. So you roll a die or spin a wheel or something like that, and that tells you how many spaces to roll. So you roll uh, and count out the spaces that you're supposed to go, and if you land on a space that has the bottom of a ladder, that is a really good moment, because you get to climb the ladder. If it's a really little ladder, that's okay. If it's the big ladder that almost goes coast to coast, that's even more exciting. And then there are some spaces that have shoots on them or big slides. And if you land on a space at the top of a shoot, that is a sad moment because all that work that you've done just sends you right back down to the bottom and you have to start all over. It's a very simple game. And the goal is to get to the 100 square, all the way at the top with the big blue ribbon. The first person that gets there wins. And uh, there's a moment of accomplishment for the person who has gotten there. And how that relates to singleness and relationships and this series that we're talking about today is our culture puts such a high value on relationships and marriage that it's a lot like this game of shoots and ladders, that getting into a relationship is like landing on the bottom of the ladder square. You get to climb a ladder in the eyes of our culture and society that you are now partnered. You get to climb. woo it's very exciting. And then when you go through a breakup, when you go through the ending of a relationship, a divorce, uh, you go your separate ways. It's like landing on that square with the top of a chute and all the way back to the bottom and you have to start over. And our culture is so obsessed with marriage that we um, instill in our young people this idea that somehow a relationship and marriage is the 100 square. Once you've landed there, you've made it. Now, anybody in this room who has been married for an awful long time will tell you that that's not necessarily the case. And statistically speaking, I find this fascinating If you look at adults who were single and then partnered, um, maybe then single again or stayed partnered, rates of happiness spike around the time of marriage and then just return to your pre-marriage levels of happiness after the honeymoon phase is over. Uh, because as someone wise once said, wherever you go, there you are. So marriage is not a determining factor of happiness, but so often we act as though it is. And so Richard, uh, it's not a surprise to anyone who's single that there is a stigma around being signal. Uh, Single, Can you tell us a little bit more about where that comes from?
1: Sure. To to quote one president, it's the economy. Um, Seriously, uh, up until very recently, the vast majority of people who were alive lived in grinding poverty. At least that's what we would see it as. They were in a hand-to-mouth existence. They were working off the land, and they barely had enough to feed their children. And paradoxically, they had to have a lot of children because of high infant mortality rate and also because you had to have people work the land. And that was fine until they grew up and became adults and then you could no longer afford to feed them. So bluntly put, they had to go away. Uh, well, how do we do that? Enter marriage. Um, now also to complicate things further, this of course is when the particular kind of sinfulness that's, that's acting out is where the dude's in charge and the women have no say, and that's what's going on also. so. A family couldn't afford to feed their daughters as adults, so they had to hope against hope that somebody would find them acceptable and bring them into their family and start a new family. And, and, and so there's even laws in the Old Testament to protect women who for some reason don't get married because the society would not. And if, if, and if it weren't up to the laws God gave, single women would literally starve to death. Then there's the the boys as they become men. And again, they got to go away too. Well, what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to find themselves a woman and go build a family and go farm some more land. So what happens if the women and men remain single? Well, the first thing that's asked of the women is what's the matter with them that nobody will marry them? Are they damaged goods? Did something happen? And with the men, it's shame on them for not doing their duty to start a family. And even now we live in an urban society where, where we're not, you know, scraping by and, and where we can't feed our children. There's still this sense that you ought to be married or something's gone wrong.
3: Yes, and we see that also then in the terms that get used for single adults, whether male or female. So the, the most commonly used term for men who are unmarried is bachelor. And where that comes from is uh, for a, a long time, these young adult men would go off to university or whatever sort of next step education was there for them, which most commonly was referred to as a bachelor's degree. And so, bachelors are an educated male, and now just generally used to, that's a cover all term for all young adult or unmarried men. And then, women uh, who were unmarried had not very many economic job options. So if a woman was married, she had access to higher economic uh, status jobs because of her uh, connections through her husband. An unmarried woman did not have that same privilege and so usually speaking unmarried women could spin wool. It was one of the lowest socioeconomic status jobs available to women, hence the name spinster. Uh, Another term used for Unmarried women is old maid or also my favorite, cat lady. <laughs> so... And so you see, in the terms that are used for single adult men and women, there's even still a hierarchy there present with uh, with men and women who are unmarried. And then also there's the phrasing choices that we use towards single adults, whether married or single. Anybody can say things like this when we get together for Thanksgiving, when you get to see each other for Christmas. Are you still single? The still connotating that there's something better about being partnered than being single. Or oh, honey, don't worry it'll all happen at the right time. You just have to stop expecting it or stop looking for it, and then it will just pop into your life. There's all sorts of ways that we subtly reinforce to single adults that somehow they are less than a married perspective. And so, uh, Richard, you have another couple of thoughts you wanted to add about this as well.
1: Yeah, and and like all stereotypes, there is some grounding in, in reality. We were thinking about this. One is emergency contact. When you fill out a form for a job or whatever, they often say, who is your emergency contact, by the way? I'm seeing lots of nods. I'm getting a witness on this one. Um, you know, and, you know, if you're, if you're married, it's usually your spouse. Uh, if you're not, for example, um, when I had to fill all that out at, at, here at Hope, uh, my emergency contact is Gail Smith, <laughs> the admin manager, you know, and so... If, if I get hit by a car, they'll be calling 515-222-1520. Operators are standing by to take your number, you know. I mean, seriously, it's the church's phone number. Um, I have a feeling Gail is probably several people's emergency contact. You know, oh, another accident. Who's it this time? You know. The other, though, is, is a more, on a ser- more serious note, it's a fear. And I think this is undergirding the, the still single thing of who's going to take care of me when I get old. Well, here's a couple stats. Is even married people, this is an important question, because one of you is going first, and you're going to be alone. Sure, you thought on a rainy morning. I mean, you know, thought I'd just bring that. But it's, and then if we go to, to what the Bible says, every one of us stands before God alone. And I think often singles represent that fear. Now, here's the thing, though. Singleness is not a condition to be cured, no matter what we think and no matter what our fears. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have been single. I just thought I would just leave it there.
3: You tell him, Richard. (laughs) So a lot of uh, the meetings that I have the honor of having with a lot of our young adults as part of our congregation get into a lot of the big questions about life. And oftentimes, one of those big questions is, I really want a relationship that hasn't happened for me yet Is there something that's wrong with me? So this cultural idea of being single, associated with a condition to be cured is just, we don't even think about it. It's just buried really deep. I like to go back to scripture and point people right to the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, we have some interesting pronouns that God uses to describe God's action in creating humanity. And you'll notice that these are not single pronouns, these are plural pronouns. Then God said in Genesis chapter 1, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. What's happening here? What are the Hebrew writers doing here? What is God doing here? What God is doing is very subtly or very overtly, depending on how much we pay attention to it, God is saying God exists in community. We see this right away in the beginning of creation God the Father, the Creator, the Word, and the Spirit. All are present in Genesis chapter 1. God exists in this beautiful, ununderstandable trinity, this community of beings, and it is this community of beings that has made humanity in the image of this God. We are designed for relationship, we are made for intimacy. We were designed to be in close relationship with God, with ourselves, with other people, and so I love to reassure you or anybody that I meet with who's desiring more closeness in their life, there's nothing wrong with that. You were designed for that. It's okay. Uh, and so, Richard, you have a beautiful verse that um, that brings all this together, talking about how God sees humanity.
1: This is this wonderful psalm where God inspired someone to reflect on just who we are as human beings. And I just want to read a part of it Uh, The psalmist says, What are mere mortals that you should think about them, God? Human beings that you should care for them. And then he goes on to describe, he's kind of looking at us through God's eyes. You have made them only a little lower than the spiritual beings. And then you have crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. The flocks and the herds and all the wild animals. And it continues. And this is echoing back to Genesis 1 and 2 where we are called to rule the earth in God's image. Well, let's ask this question. What is God's image like? Now, this matters because if we've been created in God's image and God is community, and we've been created for community, then that's just not if you're married And it's not just if you're single, but this deep community is available to everyone, but let's look at exactly what it is and kind of peel off the stereotypes and go to the biblical core. So I looked up some scripture and I discovered this. God is the most faithful friend you could possibly have. In fact, there's a Hebrew word for that. It's chesed, the one who sticks by you and never leaves and keeps his promises. That's all loaded up in that one word. God is also, according to Proverbs 18, closer than a brother or sister. Think of a fantastic relationship, you know, you've had with one of your siblings where you you just would give anything for each other, God is closer. Wow. God is also like a mom who shields her kids from danger. That's in Luke 13. I would have gathered you like a mother hen gathers her chicks. Take care of you just like that. God's also a daddy who will never, never let you go. That's Romans chapter 5. God's also the chief servant of the universe, John 14. Jesus is foot washer in chief. There's even a word for that in Hebrew, avad, which both means to worship but also to serve. And then, I love this, God is named Ezer, which is Hebrew for helper. It's the same name he gave us as as humanity. We are helpers. That is the way we are like God. God also always has our back. The New Testament, the word for that is parakletos, which means defense lure, but it also means the warrior who fights behind you and takes care of you. God is the one who breathes life into us. His relationships give life rather than take life. And finally, God is the one who, would, who loves us so much that he'd rather die than be without us, and that's exactly what he did. That's at the center of the Gospels. So to put it very simply, God is love. And because we are made in his image, it means that we are meant to relate In the same way that God relates to us, whether we're married or single, whether we're kids, whether we're parents, grandparents, you name it, that we are all called to this kind of community. Jesus said it this way. I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. Think about that. Especially in this time and this culture. What would it mean if the body of Christ were to practice that?
3: So Richard, with that idea of this is God's relationship with us, this is our relationship with others, how has this hierarchy come to be? You have Mm -hmm. this beautiful um, illustration or or, uh, talking through the ideas of intimacy and how we confuse that with intensity. Will you share that with us?
1: You bet. Uh, And this is so important because uh, we hear often a lot of singles um, who are just desperate to be married and they come into our offices and we, we kind of listen a little while. And often what it boils down to is I am so lonely. I need someone to make me feel better. Of course, any of you who are married know the dirty little secret is you can be just as lonely when you're married. So, you know, single folks, fine print, marriage will not do it. If, if you're looking to be, in fact, if, if someone is dating you because they want to feel better, run. Um, you know, if they use a phrase like, you complete me, run. You know, very, very scary. They're kind of creepy. And here's why is because in our culture we do a lot of self-medicating and we have confused intimacy with self-medication of just feeling better. In fact, we confuse intimacy with emotional and physical intensity. So we think we're in love if we feel intense emotions or we think everything's right if we feel intense physical feelings. And yet, according to the Bible, intimacy is what we just read. Intimacy is who God is. Intimacy flows out of character. Now, physical intimacy celebrates that intimacy, and it also can energize it, but it is not that intimacy. Biblical intimacy is available to everyone, but it's hard work. I sometimes think that God gives people romantic feelings to talk them into being roommates for life. What sane person would do that on their own, you know? And... and, and and, and and again that's the good news for all of us no matter what your status is this deep community this deep intimacy is available because we've been made in the image and character of God
3: hmm. so jesus talks about this in the scripture that you heard read for us so beautifully at the beginning of this service, and if you knew that we were talking about singleness today, maybe it was a little bit of a head scratcher, and so we're hoping to explain that a little bit. There's this interesting interaction that's happening here uh, in the scripture reading today. Jesus is teaching. There are crowds there, and Jesus' mother, Mary, and his biological siblings, brothers and sisters, come and can't get through to Jesus, and so they speak to somebody probably at the edge of the crowd or outside this house or place where Jesus is and say, we need you to send a message that we need to talk to Jesus. So the scripture, uh, Jesus, so these messengers come to Jesus and say, Jesus, your mother and your brothers wanna speak to you. And Jesus says something very interesting. He doesn't say, okay, yes, let me uh, follow you to where they are. Jesus doesn't say, go tell them I'll be there in a moment or I'll apparate there or whatever. (laughs) Jesus doesn't say anything like that. What Jesus says, I'm sure made the messengers go, What, and also don't shoot the messenger. Jesus says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother and these are my brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus is redefining family and dropping a bit of a bomb in the room. Can you explain this for us? Absolutely.
1: First of all, we we wanna be clear, God invented family. So this is, we are pro-family. But the problem is as had entered the world in the various configurations families have had over the millions of years, is human beings tend to put family, biological family in front of God. And, and that hurts everything. It makes the family less functional, less fruitful, less fulfilling. And it also clouds up our relationship with God. And and the first century was no different and the 21st century is no different. We worship the nuclear family, AKA the Cleavers. Yes, right, as if that exists. Um, And in the first century, the Jews worshiped their version of the family and and would put it in front of God. And so Jesus doing a little course correction here. um, And so he uses this time to drop this big old hand grenade as, as Jamie said and said, no, the real family before all human families is the family God has created. And, and you see this in the early church because it was so shocking to the Romans. They found it offensive that the early Christians referred to each other as brother and sister and looked out for each other the way Romans expected biological brothers and sisters to look out for each other. In fact, more so. By the way, hot tip. If you want your marriage better, put God between the spouse the spouse. Between husband and wife, also between parents and children, and your marriage actually grows more when he's in the middle of it. Same thing, single folks. If if you want to live a more fulfilling life, put your relationship with Christ first before any other relationship, and you will begin to relate now out of joy and not out of need. It's a again long, hard journey. This this journey of intimacy is is is, is not for the faint of heart, but the reward is just crazy amazing. Mm. But that's what Jesus is doing is he's putting, he's reprioritizing and saying that our relationships with each other in Christ prioritize over family relationships and when that happens, the family, the biological family is better.
3: We also see this reflected in many of the letters of Paul to the early church. Paul has a bunch of letters to a bunch of different churches that he's helped to create. And here at the end of Romans chapter 16, as Paul is writing uh, and closing his letter to the Romans, we see this incredible picture of this community that Richard is talking about, this Um, connection between Paul and adults who are single, this connection between Paul and adults who are married, and what these churches are functioning like as a really robust community of all relationship statuses. Can you walk us through these? Yeah,
1: Um, this is just amazing. Um, Again, Paul's single, and when you look at his friendship network, you can tell this guy's not alone. He says here, as he's doing greetings in in the letter to Romans, give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila whom many people believe discipled Paul when he became a new Christian. They are the co-workers in the ministry of Jesus Christ. In fact, they once risked their lives for me and I am thankful to them. Give my greetings to Mary who has worked so hard for your benefit. These are people who are not in casual, you know, I go to church once a month and, and, and that's cool. These people are knocking themselves out for each other. Greetings to Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who are in prison with me. These are two people who literally were with Paul in prison. They were not prisoners. They were taking care of Paul. Turns out Junia is also a fellow apostle. And then finally greet Rufus, whom the Lord picked out to be his very own. Hear the intentionality of how God creates family. And also his dear mother, and this just blows me away, who has been a mother to me. Hear that? Who's been a mother to me. Just as Jesus appointed John to to take care of his mother. The deepest family connections emerge from Jesus. And then they enrich all our human family connections. Now, before we get too intense, I got just a couple things I want to share. We're going to engage in some deliberate snarkiness. So here it comes. Number one, we looked up all the heroes in scripture. Guess what? Most of them are single. Second thing, we looked at the, at the married main characters in Scripture. For most of them, it doesn't end well. Just saying. Oh, by the way, once again, just to remind you, Jesus was single, so clearly a single is not a problem to fix. So just thought we'd leave that there.
3: One of my favorite things is when Richard engages in a little bit of snark. <laughs> so as we take a look at a different approach to understanding biblical family as we take a look at what God lays out for us in scripture, even if you look at the bookends of Jesus's life, the family that Jesus was born into, if you know the Christmas story, the interesting dynamics between Mary and Joseph, God is rewriting family dynamics there. And then all the way to the end of Jesus' life when Jesus is on the cross, if you've been here for Good Friday services or are familiar with the last words of Jesus on the cross, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, he looks at his mother, Mary, he looks at his beloved disciple, who's probably John, as John wrote the book uh, and is referring to himself as the favorite disciple. Jesus says, Mary, here is your son, and my beloved disciple, here is your mother. And what God is doing all throughout this work through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit is redefining how we see one another in our relationships. And so how do we as people of God, as people of faith, as Jesus' people, move towards redefining this ourselves. And here's the other thing I, I wanna make sure I wanna say is this isn't just for our church family. This isn't just something that we practice within the walls of our, of our church or within our church community. We get to be models to the rest of the world how we move towards community as family, mm-hmm. how we love on each other really well and include one another regardless of relationship status. Yeah. Uh, because one of the things worth noting is that like gravitates toward like. Single people oftentimes hang out with a lot of single people. Couples tend to hang out with couples. Young parents tend to hang out with other young parents. And there are delightful and really good reasons for that. But what is Jesus saying about when we only have a a cultural structure of like hanging out with like? There's a lot of different ways that we can navigate that.
1: Yep. Um, This all comes from kind of learning it the hard way. Um, I noticed that I'd have close friends and they'd get married and they somehow disappeared into hyperspace. You know, maybe it was a wormhole, I don't know. But I, I discovered some things. Number one, um, us single folks, when we have a friend who gets married, give them about six months, they're going to disappear because they've got to get used to getting married. You know, that's got some work with it. As we said, you know, you, you, you have the spike at the wedding and then you're back down to kind of normal and you're like, wait a second, I thought it was going to be perfect. And then you're in the hard work of making a marriage in the image of God. About six months later, they, they come up for air. So what do you do when they come up for air? Get to know their spouse. If their spouse trusts you, you will keep your friend. If their spouse does not trust you, you will not keep your friend. And especially if their spouse feels like competition between the two of you, guess who's going to win? Not you. Also, the same would be true when a family has kids. Get interested in the kids. Always be an asset to that family, not a drain. Get to know the kids. Let me just tell you what that looks like. When I was very, very sick, Andy, one of our pastors here, he would just invite me over to his house. We'd clean the garage together. And, and just doing that stuff. I mean, I was being useful. Heather was thrilled. The garage was clean, for once. Um, you know, no, I didn't say that. I, I'll <laughs> deny that. Um, or I would just sit there with the kids while Andy was working on remodeling in the kitchen. I was giving him time to do the work. Hanging with the kids. And I was, and, and just being there and present was just a, such a gift to me. That's huge. One last thing to all you married folks. Feel free to ask someone to join you going to the movies, having dinner, whatever. And you know, if we feel uncomfortable, we'll tell you so. We're over 21, we have our big boy and girl pants on. We're kind of responsible for our actions. you know. So just let it fly. We'll tell you if it's comfortable or not.
3: One of my good friends listens to a popular podcast that many of you may be familiar with. Annie F. Downs is a best-selling author and podcaster, and she has a podcast which which is called That Sounds Fun, which it really is a lot of fun. And uh, she had done an episode on singleness that my friend had listened to, and Annie F. Downs on this podcast had said, uh, as one of many suggestions, hey, married people, invite some of your single friends on family vacation. And that's what these friends did. There were three uh, couples or three families all with young. Young kids and then myself and we all went on family vacation together and I got to tell you it was one of the highlights of that summer because I got to hang out with kids and go down the slide as many times as I wanted and hang out with them because it's less socially acceptable to just as a single adult go to the park and go down the slide like that just
1: yeah that could be awkward
3: yeah there are words that we associate with that Creepy. <laughs> No, thank you. Uh, but I love, I love hanging out with their kids. I loved going on family vacation. I was able to, uh, to hang out with kids, give them a little bit of respite. They would take their kids, go do some kid things. I'd go hang out and have a little bit of introverted time uh, because having kids, single parents, we haven't even talked about single parents. I don't know how you do it. You are heroes to me. You are incredible. And our church family, I hope, sees and reaches out to those of you who are single parents and lends a hand. Uh, but there are all of these really beautiful ways that when we move towards community as family that we can do to celebrate one another. Also, for those of you who are single, you are very well accustomed to being a part of the tradi- traditional trajectory of married people's lives. We go to bachelorette or bachelor parties. We go to bridal showers. We go to weddings. We go to baby showers and love celebrating all of those milestones. What often happens with single adults is crickets. Crickets for celebrations. And so, married people, then you can also look for ways to celebrate the milestones and accomplishments of the single people in your life who, uh, who love celebrating the accomplishments in your life. It's lovely to take a friend out for dinner when they get a job promotion, or something that you can find in that single adult's life to celebrate moving towards community as family, celebrating not just traditional milestones is a really, really beautiful way of doing that. Uh, And so a lot of the fear that we've talked about kind of here and there throughout this whole message comes from this question that single people face that is reinforced for single people from couples, but also for people in couples, uh, no one is exempt from asking this question. Who am I, myself, just as me. Who am I with or without a relationship? Who am I in this relationship? And am I afraid to be alone? As Richard mentioned, when we, uh, when we pass away, when we die, when we face God, we do that alone. We do that just as I myself and me. And there are economic reasons why it, uh, there, it's important to be partnered, but that's not what God has been laying out for all of us. And so we, we wrestle with this question from time to time in different stages of our life. And the good news that we want all of you to hear this morning is that God delights in you, regardless of relationship status. God is so excited when you wake up in the morning, your feet hit the ground. God says, Yay, we get to do life together today. God is delighted in how you are designed, how you are wired, the things that you add to this world. God created you on purpose for a purpose and that may include, uh, well that includes all of the different things that you bring to the world. There's no question about God's delight for you. And so another story from scripture that we'd like to use to illustrate all of this is somewhat of a familiar story, uh, this beautiful conversation between Jesus and a woman at a well in Samaria. And so we're going to watch a clip from The Chosen because it really helps to just see how Jesus enacts this. It's a much longer clip. We've boiled it down for time. When we did show this full eight-minute clip at Revive, even the like stoic production guys in the back had like leaky eyes. (laughs) It's, It's this really beautiful look at what happens when we bring this question of who am I Myself, just as me, to God. You'll see the woman's defensiveness in this clip, especially around her relationship status. But then we also get to see how some of that melts in the delight of Jesus. Take a look.
0: Would you give me a drink? Did you hear me?
2: That bad, huh? What? You, a Jew. Ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman.
0: I'm sorry. I should have said please.
2: You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here.
0: Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the the cool of the morning? Yeah,
2: well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come at noon in the heat, as you have so kindly reminded me.
0: Why won't they be seen with you?
2: Long story.
0: I'd still like a drink of water if, if you can spare it.
2: Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel?
0: Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't.
2: Yeah? And what do you say?
0: I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again.
2: Wouldn't that be nice? Prove it.
0: First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both.
2: I don't have a husband.
0: You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband.
2: (laughs) I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned.
0: I'm not here to condemn you.
2: I've made mistakes. Too many.
0: Do you believe what I'm telling you?
2: (sighs) Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me, I don't trust in anyone.
0: You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married, but he wasn't a good man. He hurt you and it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith.
2: Why are you doing this?
0: I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me.
2: You picked the wrong person.
0: I came to Samaria just to meet you. (laughs) Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day?
2: I am rejected by others.
0: I know, but not by the Messiah.
2: (sighs) And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone.
0: (laughs) I was counting on it.
3: (laughs) One of my favorite things about that clip that they did so beautifully is when Jesus looks at the woman and says, you're the reason I'm here. I came to Samaria to this well to speak to you. And anytime God shows up in our lives, anytime the Holy Spirit moves, which is way more frequently than we are ever aware of, That's God saying to you, to me, to all of God's kids, I came here for you because I love you, I delight in you, I love doing life with you, you are precious to me. One of the the verses that I love as it relates to all of this is adapted from John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus' parting gift to me is peace. He doesn't leave me the way I'm used to being left, feeling abandoned, bereft so I don't need to be upset we don't need to be upset because we are not alone who am I myself just as me the one constant we can always count on is that we are never alone because of the power and the spirit of God
1: I'd like to do an exercise with with you all just to kind of bring this all on on home Um, if you will um, close your eyes and and just make yourself comfortable Uh, we're going to kind of use our imaginations for a second so imagine you've had a pretty rough week, and right now you don't want to be around anybody that you know. Uh, it's been really tough. And so you go to your favorite coffee place or wherever that is, and you come, go in there and you think, okay, I just need to go find a corner and, and have my favorite drink. And so you go and you buy your, your, your favorite drink, and, and you look around, and the place is packed. You're thinking, oh, maybe I should go home. And you realize you just don't want to be around anyone you know right now. And there's one seat that's there, somebody sitting across who's reading a book. You think, okay, they're absorbed in something. Maybe I can get just a moment's peace. You sit down, and you notice you notice something about this person. There's a magnetism. They're the kind of person. It's quite apart from physical looks wouldn't mind being their friend there's someone who looks like a really really good friend obviously they're a stranger so there's not much to do and for some reason there's a point where you look up and they do and you catch each other's eyes and it's not really very fun because you feel suddenly very exposed like this person across from you knows absolutely everything about you everything you've done before, your regrets your pain, your wounds the places where you've wounded others your secrets your fear of the future you're wondering if it's all worth it and this person sees it all and you don't know what to do with that until you notice a twinkle in their eye a crooked smile emerges this person says come here you I've been waiting so long for you and I am so glad that you are here because it's no accident that I came here nor did you. And I am so glad that you're here. Let's get to know each other. That's Jesus. And this little exercise is, is just a way of imagining what is true for you.
3: to join with me in a brief word of prayer and then we're going to end just slightly differently this morning God we thank you for your love we ask that as we hear Alyssa and the team sing over us that your word would sink in that your truth would break open our hearts and that you'd draw us closer into intimacy with you Jesus once prayed that us and God would be one as Jesus and God are one God, help us to move further into that desire from you to be one with us today. We love you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name.